Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. I'm uh, actually excited to, to preach today on a, um, on a subject that's pretty fun. We've got a theme this month called This Is Our Family. Uh, and we've been talking about uh, the biblical concept of family and this community and as it relates to us. And it's important, I want to set this preface in place for sure, that when we talk about family, we're not talking about our, our individual experiences or history with our family. Uh, but what we're actually drawing from is the quote-unquote family of God. So whether you had a good experience with your family, bad experience, mixed bag of experiences, we're not drawing from those experiences. We're drawing from a redeemed, fully realized, fully loving, heavenly father paradigm of family. You guys got that? Sweet. Awesome. Okay, cool. So we're drawn from a heavenly father perspective of family. This is really important because some of us have painful histories in our family or things that were uh, kind of would trip us up when I say, hey, we're, you know, this is family and we're we're, we're in the design of family. We're following Heavenly Father. Well, if you didn't have a great father or had no father, there might be a little bit of a gap there initially that you have to transcend or overcome in order for you to understand Heavenly Father. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a worthy objective. It's a worthy pursuit because Heavenly Father is awesome. So we're going to be talking about today monarchy versus patriarchy. Uh, we're going to be talking about church cultures uh, and how uh, we see uh, basically the, the cultivation of these communities. Uh, what I'm going to be proposing is that the modern church culture has some of its roots and expression in uh, monarchy expression. Uh, you know, each one of us come from a church for the most part. And how many of you guys had a senior pastor at your former church? Senior pastor, so did I as well from the church I came from. Uh, and senior pastors and, and the, the structure of how we've kind of built our churches, uh, if you take a look at it, oftentimes it's very reflective or very close to an old covenant model of how they structured Israel, especially, and this is what we'll be starting off in 1 Samuel 8, because Israel asks Samuel for a king. And thus began the story of what we experience now in our modern church culture which if you take a look at it real, real close, you could actually see that our modern church cultures are very, very similar to like monarchy expressions. We follow the vision of one person. Uh, the one person is kind of telling it or speaking and setting tone for a lot of things. Uh, and we even find a certain degree of loyalty that we give to one person in that dynamic and in that structure. And then if we leave that one person, it's kind of like, uh, treason. And if you leave that church, it's kind of like treason. And then you're like, you're, 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 you know what I'm talking? You guys tracking with me? I know I'm jumping into it right away. Who likes a warm up anyways? I never like to warm up. I'm like, that's more running. It's a trick. You told me I need to warm up. You just wanted me to run more and a little bit slower at first. And then it picked up real quick. So we're going to jump into the word today to identify these two different uh, ideals, uh, really this paradigm shift and or recognizing where we're at and what God is cultivating or intending for us to operate in. So we're going to recognize some things. We're going to talk about some things. We're going to read uh, a scripture and a story 
Um, because this isn't just in church culture, but humanity at large oftentimes puts its trust in a person. And it allows that person to dictate things, to determine things, to fight for them, to provide for them, et cetera, et cetera, provide a certain degree of confidence. And as believers, we're called to have a very personal and direct relationship with Jesus that doesn't uh, have, you know, us having others fight our battles for us. So I'm going to jump into the word on this because I really want to stay rooted in the word on this for us to understand it from a biblical perspective. And if we start in 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 22 sets the tone here. We're going to start in verse 5, 1 through 4 sets up a scene that's important to understand, which is Samuel was the prophet of Israel at the time. Uh, and uh, Samuel's sons, they weren't good people. Uh, they, were, they were not of good character the way Samuel was. And Samuel was getting old. So Israel was having a potential leadership crisis. And it's really important to track right here, right there, and make it personal for us because when Israel is anticipating a vacuum of leadership created, they come up with an idea, and the idea is horrible. I'll tell you the end of the story. It's a bad idea, and we're going to read on it so you'll see. But it's important for us to recognize what the scene was when they grasped onto this bad idea. And the scene was, there was a crisis of leadership. There was a potential inability to know what God was saying and doing. And there was an inability for them to be able to ascertain the will of God for their life and their community. So there was a crisis. And I bet you, you or I at different points in our life, and maybe even right now, can recognize points where you were in a crisis of faith. You were in a crisis where like the, the plates of your life were shifting, the tectonic plates of your life were shifting. And you had this either lack of revelation of what God wanted to do or a potential future lack coming up. And this crisis is important to track where you're at in this crisis and what you do. Because humanity oftentimes in its default will choose a champion and put its faith in a champion rather than put its faith in God. You guys with me? You guys tracking? I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but we're going to go preach for real. Unless you want me to do like a Super Bowl fluff sermon. I don't actually have one, <laughs> but I can maybe find someone. I don't know. So verse five, it picks up and it says, and, and they said to him, the elders said to him, behold, you are old. <laughs> That's such a good start. <laughs> hey, you're old, so you're going to die soon. So what do we do? Uh, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Crisis of leadership. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So what we see here right away is that sometimes in a crisis of a revelation or a crisis of leadership in your life, you'll tend to or will tend to as human beings do what I like to call copy and paste. What is somebody else doing that's working for them? Let's do that. I love it. I love it. The other kingdoms have kings, or the other nations have kings. Seems to be going pretty well for them. I think they're still a nation, so let's do that. And this is not divine. This is not God-inspired. This is a lack of faith, a lack of revelation from God, and just a humanistic good idea on what should be done. 
So this is where we see them at right now. They're like, um, why should we do it? Well, um, because others are doing it. I'll tell you this right now. Copying the traditions of the world will never produce a community of godliness and righteousness. It will never do it. We cannot take from the world's model to create godly patterns or godly community. So when we see things like worldly structures or infrastructures, businesses and governments functioning in a certain way, a Christian community can't just go, well, then obviously let's do that. It worked pretty well for America to have a president. So let's have a president of the Mountain Church. So you can't just copy and paste what other infrastructures have done or other worldly things have done. Uh, You've got to allow God to inspire and to reveal his will for your personal life and also his will for the community at large. You guys tracking with me today? I promise this is going to connect, and we're going to go, hopefully, from a place of understanding that we've probably functioned in our church cultures in some kind of monarchy, king-based mindset uh, to a place of yearning for and longing for Heavenly Father to be realized in our community and to lead our community and to cultivate the parts that are seen in Jesus. So this is our goal. This is our objective is to confront something that's existed in our church cultures. I mean, you can see the scene in church cultures. Uh, there's, there's different terminology we liken to and we use. Uh, maybe armor bearers. I mean, this is an old covenant language of David had armor bearers. This is an old covenant role found in a king culture. You even look at perhaps the soldier mentality and or even the servant mentality. When not pitched or developed in the nature of Jesus, it actually is simply just a role in a king's culture. So if you take on the identity of a servant and not the identity of a follower of Jesus, then that's taking on the identity of a role in a culture of a human king. I'm just here to serve. Well, that's actually not all you're here for, right? That's not your outlined and designed purpose. I'm here to carry your bags or to do something for you, man of God. No, that's actually not your identity and not your purpose. Like Jesus absolutely said, you'll be, hey, you'll be a servant of all. Like he communicated it like the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. So we will for sure serve. But your primary identity is a person who has been born again as a son or a daughter of God. And that son or daughter of God loves to serve, loves to provide, loves to do the things that Heavenly Father does. And he sent his son and his son did exactly as he saw Father doing. Remember that in Scripture? Jesus is like, I only do what I see my Father doing. So when Jesus served, it's because he saw his Father modeling that to him to do to others. The whole thing I'm outlining right now is to recognize the cultures we've come from, the governing dynamics we've come from, so that we can leave broken paradigms and broken formulas of church culture and walk into a revelatory, realized uh, pattern of living as Christians, as individuals, and as community. It's not just a sentiment. It's not just a sentiment. The desire of God was for us to follow Him directly. So let's find this in Scripture. And it says, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Copy and paste. 
But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Oh, isn't this exciting? Sometimes we don't realize it, but when we give our fealty or our loyalty to a man or a woman to lead us and be our king and to guide us, and it's not in the context of Jesus, then what we've actually done is we've given the lordship of our life to God, from God, to a man or a woman. And we don't, we don't always realize that it's actually us rejecting God in that exchange. It's kind of frightening because we did it on accident and it's a very sneaky thing sometimes. Like we find a champion and we're like, that champion's awesome. Maybe the champion even led you to Jesus and had all kinds of like awe-inspiring wisdom and instruction. And so at first you could be like, this is my pastor. They will guide me. They will lead me. They will be my shepherd. They will be my leader. They will guide me. I do as you do. Just show me the way, champion. Show me the way, hero. But here's the thing. Even in the context of somebody championing you or watering your life or planting into your life or even reaping the harvest of your life, it is God who grows you. So we must have all of the efforts of people in our lives in the context of God's divinity and God's covering. Let's say it like this, and let's actually pull a scripture up, and we're going to jump back to the Samuel scripture, but let's pull a scripture up, and, and, and in verse uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, 10 through 13, let's read this. And, it, and, it, and it's Paul confronting division in church. And he says, look, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ? Is Christ divided? Question mark. Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And if you skip down to verse 31, it kind of gives the culminating summary of this. It says, so that as it is written, let the the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay, so we have this dynamic, which we have people of God in our life, and sometimes they're champions, and sometimes they're even heroes initially for us. And we have this dynamic that exists where it's, it's, it's real, it's in front of us, it's tangible, like I could touch their face even though that would be kind of weird. Like, you know, it's like go up and touch it. It would be kind of weird, but you, it's real. It's, it's easier to follow flesh and blood than it is an invisible God. It's easier for me to make a champion, a human being, a king, like somebody like, okay, you be my king because I think you got it right. So just tell me what to do. Tell me how to figure this out. And also pour into my life and make sure I'm not sinning. Be my accountability partner. And all of a sudden what we do is we take what was supposed to be the role of God in our life and we try and infuse it into a man or into a woman. So here's the challenge is that people are dynamic and they're helpful in our life. And so our human tendency is to give them our loyalty, to give them our our following, to, to do these things 
So as champions in people's lives or as, or as, or as fathers and mothers, our, our goal is not to diminish ourselves so somebody doesn't make us their hero, but our goal is actually to pitch our influence constantly in the frame of Jesus Christ. And I got a scripture for you on this, and it's, I think, really important for us to understand. And it's, uh, <clears throat> it's in Second Tim, no, it's in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Another way you might have heard it is follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Is it bad for you to follow me if it's not in the framework of Jesus? Yes. Yes, for sure. Follow me as I follow Christ, which means that if you imitate me, imitate those things in me that have been matured and are like Christ. Don't imitate my human fallibility. Don't imitate the things that aren't of Christ. When I'm saying follow me or imitate me, I'm saying follow me and imitate me only in the ways that I've imitated Christ and I'm following Christ. So I am not king. I am not the absolute authority on this thing. I am only useful to you in your walk with God if I am like God in those ways. Again, I am relevant in my ability to connect you to Father, in my ability to connect you to God. But as a human being, I'm just flesh and blood. I remember I did a, I did a Nazarite vow when I was 18 or 19, and there was this really awesome dude, Lou Angle, led the calls and did all these cool things. And he was really influential in my life. He only had small bursts, with, bursts of like contact with me. But I remember after like my Nazarite vow and stuff like that, I went to lunch and he was there and I was awestruck. I didn't even know how to formulate sentences. I was like, I love you. That was all I could think was like, I just wanted to like tell him he was amazing and kind of worship him a bit and tell him awesome things. And I just remember this and I remember being like, what just happened? I couldn't even see the person anymore. There was just this like awestruck celebrity in my head. And I learned a really valuable lesson that day, that it's not hard for us to make a celebrity out of a really good Christian. It's not hard. I mean, you look at church culture, we do it all the time. You ever heard of Joel Osteen? Steve Furtick? You ever heard of like other people even in the city or outside of the city? Like, it's so common that we make famous a beacon of God's voice and we're like, they're awesome. And the crazy thing is, is that when they have a moral failure, our lives can be crushed and we're discouraged. Why? Have you ever thought about it? Like, why are we crushed when a man of God that's famous has a moral failure or a woman of God? Why are we crushed except that we've put our faith and their ability to be like God. And it's a linchpin of our faith. It's a linchpin of our courage. Look, when David went to the front lines and slayed Goliath, yeah, this was awesome for David's story. But can we be reminded that it was failure for community? Can we be reminded of everybody else that cowered in the face of Goliath and the intimidation of the enemy? Can we be reminded that hero culture Christianity is not a healthy community? It's just an awesome individual. And that's it. And sometimes we want to make that awesome individual a king because we want their awesomeness to do great things for us as well. But this is not the full design and purpose for us as individual followers of Jesus, which we're all called to be followers of Jesus. Yes, there will be those amongst us that are champions, that have great victories, 
that are awesome for them and everybody else. And that's awesome. But their victory does not mean that you do not grow or you do not find courage or you do not push the very parameters of your growth patterns. So I want to go back to Samuel because I I believe that it, it gives us this really great emphasis on what took place. And if you see in verse 9 through 18, God tells Samuel to warn them of what will happen if they have a king. I'm not going to read it because it's really long, but it's a lot of really sad, bad news things. It's horrific. And yet at the end of that sales pitch, they still wanted to buy it. And it's baffling to me. He's like, it's really bad, guys. He'll take your kids. He'll, he'll take your, your daughters. He'll take your land. He'll take your money. And they're like, cool, awesome. I want to sign up for that. And in verse 19, they explain why, right? Because it's baffling. Samuel's like, this is wrong. God's like, they're rejecting me, but still give it to him. And Samuel's like, cool. Well, I'm all, and you want me to warn him? I'm going to warn him too. He warns them. And then this is what Israel does. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no. And there's an exclamation point there. There's an emphasis there. But there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations. Again, copy and paste. But there's two other things that are represented or that are presented here from them as their reasons that are important to understand. They may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us. Judge us. You may not realize it. We may not realize it, but we desire to have a human being tell us what's right and wrong. There's a tendency in humanity to want to be judged and especially to judge others around us that we know to be definitely wrong. And it's nice to have a human being walking around that has all the authority and goes, okay, you're wrong, you're right. You're wrong, you're right. You're wrong, and you're right. And you shall be put to death, and you shall be my captain. It is is an easier community expression because we don't have to then find revelation or wisdom from God and go through that transformative journey and even that humbling journey. All we need to do is listen to that one dude over there and then try not to have him point his attention of judgment at us. So we hide, et cetera, et cetera. We have a propensity and we have a desire to be judged and or for others around us that are doing wrong to be judged. This is what Israel desired. We want a king that may judge us. And the second thing that they said in this is that they go out and go out before us and fight our battles. We make people kings and heroes and champions in our life because it's so much easier than developing and transforming into the courage required to overcome. When Israel allowed David and or David went and fought that battle against Goliath and killed Goliath, cut his head off, what took place is a handicapping effect for all of Israel. Every person on that sideline that watched all they learned that day was wait for somebody else to overcome. Great story for David. We preach on it all the time. 
But when it comes to community, we have a tendency to make heroes and champions of people. And sometimes it's like a surrogate conquering victory mentality for us. It's like living vicariously through a hero. Wow, our pastor went and did this. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He went to the Philippines and started 14 churches. We did that. We did that. I tithe. I gave. He went because I tithe. So his victory is my victory. Well, this is not the case. Yeah, we can celebrate in one another's victories and overcoming capabilities. We can celebrate in them. But your journey, what God's bringing you on and causing to grow in you is different than what that hero over there is happening in his life. So yeah, God wants to do great things through them, but he also wants to have victories in you and through you. And I promise you this, I promise you this, that the great influential people around you are not your surrogate victory people. They are not your vicarious victories. And that God is calling you to have courage, to have faith, and have a trust in him as you walk into places you've never been before. And looking at Goliath and going, I'm not waiting for a David. I'm not waiting for somebody to come lay hands on me or fix this for me or win this battle for me or help me overcome this intimidation factor with that Goliath over there. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab whatever weapons I have and I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight that Goliath even if I die because that's the real risk of the thing. Having faith is not the absence of risk. It's not at all. In fact, it's in the midst of the highest point of risk you can imagine in your life, being obedient to God and confronting the enemy of your life. So when you're there and Goliath is intimidating you, the giants of your life are intimidating you, the mountains are just there and being like, you're never going to be able to move me. Don't look around for a pastor or a hero. Look to God within you, who is the greatest hero you could ever have. The Bible says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Like Christ in me, the hope of glory. How often do we go, okay, crisis? What sermon can I listen to? What preacher should I listen to? Now it's also like, what worship band can I listen to? Like maybe it's Maverick's got the anointing on him right now, but last season it was Kim. Kim really, man, she did it. Like the healing oil song. Oh man, 15 minutes of that song. And I'm just like, healing oil, God. And I'm not saying don't be inspired by these things, but what I'm saying is, look, these aren't your sources of victory. All they are is arrows pointing to Jesus. That's all they're good for. That's all they are is look, look, hey, you see me? Do I look like Jesus? Good, now that's Jesus. Look, Jesus, this is Jesus. Jesus is going to help you overcome. Jesus is going to break fear in your life. His perfect love is going to walk into every space of your life, and your fear is going to have to go. The perfect love of God casts out all fear. What I'm trying to say today is that we, we've unintentionally allowed our church cultures to be monarchies because it's easier. It's easier to let somebody else represent all authority, all victory, all strength, all charisma, all giftings, all things. Is this the fault of the people? Or is this the fault of the kings that hold position in a church culture? Both. 
Yes. Yes, both. If you look at the story of Saul, you see a story of somebody who comprised of his kingship in a way that was ungodly. And if you look at what God was truly intended for our church cultures to be, it wasn't ever, 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 ever meant to be a monarchy or a one person leading a community in a way that is singular. If you look to Ephesians 4 and what God has desired and designed for us, you see an expression of multiple parts under one God. Ephesians 4.4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If you look at this scripture right here, you actually see that, man, we are so much more connected than we allow ourselves to be. And the reason why our church cultures are divided is the same thing as said in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. Is Christ divided? No, we only appear to be divided because we become of a person. In the Bible, it was Apollos and Paul. But now, maybe it's Mountain Church, Calvary Church. Maybe it's Mountain Church, Encounter Church, ICLV. Hey, I come from this territory. I come from this land. I come from this pastor. Who's your pastor? Who's your leader? What lordship do you serve? What territory do you pay your taxes to? Like, if we're not careful, we really got to look at this thing and say, are we actually functioning as a body of Christ? Or are we functioning as divided kingdoms at war with one another? I would say that if you really look at our churches, we are not a body of Christ, but we are divided kingdoms with little kings over each one. And then what we really, really love is when our king slays a bunch of other kings and becomes more famous than the other kings. Maybe he's got a book deal. Maybe he's on TV. Maybe his YouTube subscribers are higher than the other one. Maybe his Instagram follower is more famous and better than the other one. Maybe he wears cooler clothes and he has robes of awesome luxury and wealth. And now they're not robes. They're Yeezys. They're called something different. Right? Like, we really got to look at this thing. And I, and I mean, all right, so, so my wife and I were talking about this the other day because there's a, there's a certain dynamic even where, like, if you look at a kingdom or a monarchy, who are the players in it? Well, okay, so if I'm the senior pastor and we're a monarchy here, I'm the king, and then, well, what's my wife? She's the queen. Maybe even call her the first lady. But the thing is, is that we really got to look at the dynamic of power and how it exists. Like, so if you look at our church cultures, can we not say that we've made the pastor's wives queens in the community? That in an unhealthy monarchy church culture expression, the value of the pastor's wife is exactly the same kind of value a queen holds in a monarchy. That her value is mostly defined by her relationship to the king. And her authority is only simply an extension of the authority of the king and the will of the king. Like if you make my wife a queen in this community, it means that she can only express my will. She can only express the parameters of my gifting and my desire for this space. She will be an echo and executioner of what I desire for this space. Well, this, of course, spits in the face of Ephesians 4, which says that the parts, the five-fold prophet, evangelist, teacher, 
Like, so if my wife is a prophetic voice and I'm a pastoral voice, she's going to inherently think different than I do. She will not be an extension of my will. She may be a complement to it. And if we're of one father and one God, she's not going to be in conflict with me and I'm not going to be in conflict with Tim. But what is really being said here is that this isn't about me dictating and every relationship in this place is only defined mostly by its connection to me. This is the problem with even the language we use. Senior pastor, associate pastor. Associate pastor is a title that is completely defined by its relationship to the senior pastor, which is not even biblical. I looked. There's not an associate pastor. I looked. You know what Paul says? Look, he says, uh, he says in, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there, trust me. 1 Corinthians 4.15, check this out. For though you have countless guides, you've got a lot of people that think they know what's up. You've got countless guides in Christ. You do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. Through the gospel. I became your father through the, the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. I told you a story of the good news of Jesus, and then you started to follow and be nurtured and developed by me, but it was completely in the context of the story of Christ. God changed me. He could change you. God saved me. He could save you. So who is my wife? Who is Tim in this space? Well, it's definitely not queen and like general in my army. What is it? Is that we are equal parts of the family of God and that we share a part in the expression. We share a part in the expression. And Ephesians 4 is really clear. He's given different gifts to people. Trust me, when I sit with Tim, he has different gifts than I do. He does. And they're beautiful. They're amazing. So I'm not like, hey, hey, Tim, here's, here's, my, here's my decree for community. I need you to carry it out. Here's my vision. And if you have a different vision, that's division. And, I, and I'm being real confrontational on this on purpose. Like the entire point of this thing is not for a bunch of people running around executing my vision for a community. The really cool thing about community is God already had a vision for it. You don't need me to reproduce some kind of inferior secondary vision of what this space will specifically be apart from other spaces. God defined and gave a really clear picture and vision of community. And guess what? I didn't come up with it. Ephesians 4 is riddled with all kinds of amazing things. Fivefold ministry itself means that I got to make room for the prophetic voice. What's God saying in this space? I got to make room for the apostolic. What's he building in this space? I got to make room for the pastoral. Who's he carrying on and what are our efforts with it? I got to make room for teaching. What's he instructing in us? And I'm only partly gifted. That's the crazy thing. Like somebody asked me my gifts yesterday. Do you know your spiritual gifts? Sweet. I, I know my spiritual gifts. Even though at one point I, I would have said I'm all five. I'd be like, I'm all five, baby. I was really just messing around, but like pastoral, apostolic, somebody said they think I'm prophetic. I don't know. Some people want me to be the gifts I think that they have. But I, I got these two gifts, right? So these things flow out of me naturally. And so like community starts looking like those things, right? Like it's like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know? But that's just, that's just my part. That's my part, right? So a, king, a kingdom in my image or me being a king in this space doesn't work 
because it only allows an expression of those things which I am. So who's the head of this community? Like, who's the father of this community? I'm not actually the father of this space. Our heavenly father is the father of this space. It's the father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. So heavenly father is the father of this space. Now, as far as everyone else is concerned, we should aspire to mature to father and mother in that very extension in community. So actually, the full picture of your development in this space is not for you to play some kind of really cool servant volunteer role, but it's actually for you to develop and become a father or mother in this space. I don't want you to be the all-star volunteer. I want you to develop the maturation of fathering, which means you adopt people, which means you put your arm around them, you bring them to lunch, and you start pouring into their life, which means that you think of others in a way that Paul thought of Timothy. It's like, it's an actual role in community that is achieved through maturation in Christ. And this is what it looks like. So we got to do away with the roles and the language that are from a king culture or a monarchy culture. We got to do away with that language. It's not good. It doesn't produce the family of God. It produces a kingdom of a man, and we like to call it the family of God. Like we have this enamoration. We were enamored by the royal family in England or wherever. <clears throat> but you, 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 we really got to be careful about what we're enamored with. We really got to be careful about what we put up on the high object of our, of our desire and even the high place of praise. We've really got to be mindful and cognizant of what we celebrate and what we praise as being the very objective of what we all yearn for and aspire to be. Like the end goal of your faith is not Stephen Furtick. It's not Joel Osteen expressions. It's not Bill Johnson expressions. Like this is not the end of your transformation journey at all. Even if you have similar giftings, the end of your transformation journey is oneness, fullness, completion in Christ. That's it. Everything else is irrelevant in the face of that. Everything else is irrelevant. So who am I to you? Who is Jess to you? Who is Tim to you? Who are other leaders and people in this space to you? Well, hopefully, we're really loud voices pointing you and connecting you to Jesus. Hopefully, we're influential figures connecting you to a greater, deeper intimacy with Jesus. And hopefully, we're tearing down broken models of monarchy expressions that dictate and determine an allegiance to a person rather than allegiance to God. You guys with me on this? Sweet. It got really quiet. <laughs> it gets quiet a lot. I'm okay with it. When I first started preaching, I was really uncomfortable when people would get quiet. And I started to realize the way I preached, people got quiet a lot. So I had two choices. One, I could hype up the crowd every about five minutes, keep everyone juiced up. You know, you even start kind of playing the crowd against one another. Oh, come on, this side's not with me. How about you guys? Crowd manipulation is a really strong communication tactic used in preaching, in all kinds of rallies. Elbow your neighbor. 
<laughs> so when you walk into this space, what role are you supposed to play? Is it defined by the image and the paradigm of a monarchy? So you either got soldier, armor bearer, you can't be the queen, I'm already married. You can't be princes and princesses unless you're my actual biological children. I was, I grew up as a senior pastor's kid. I was a little prince. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes I have other pastor's kids come up to me and go, yeah. They don't even explain their like thing. They're just like, totally. Yep. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I get it. You get it? We all get it. So we go on and on and on, and we try and like not pay too much attention to it because it's a little discouraging to think about the fact that we've operated in this space. But to me, it's not discouraging. To me, it's actually really encouraging. Because when you realize what you're operating in, you can, you can leave that operating system. Does this make sense? And that God is really faithful. He cultivates a beautiful connection with you and I as sons and daughters. So focus on Heavenly Father's voice. It will cultivate sonship. It'll cultivate daughterhoodship. Daughtership. It's, we need a better word for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's my desire is, is to set up a clear paradigm shift framework. Like we got to pursue Heavenly Father on this thing. And we've got to allow him to shape this community. And we've got to make room for people to see God differently than we do and to learn from it. And to allow it to have room in community. To allow each part to have room in community and space in community. It's very natural and it's very easy for this thing to become about one likable figure or two or three. This is not the purpose of God's community. The purpose of God's community is for the Father to be the voice and all of us to hopefully be carrying that voice in a unique way. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.